0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at malvanechurchcom slash sermons. 1 Timothy 2.15 is the end of a statement that Paul makes uh, in instructing women. First uh, Timothy 2 verse 9 Starts the instruction and the statement of saved or preserved through childbearing is the end of it. So let's read the whole thing. First, Timothy 2, beginning in verse 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. But rather by means of good works, as befit women, making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction, with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was not Adam who was first created, and then uh, it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. A couple of notes here. This is not a question of if women will be saved through childbearing, but of how. Of its purpose. And uh, what Paul is here promising, I think, is a special measure of assurance uh, and and hope uh, for the ladies involved. Because I have to say, a lot of ladies uh, would read uh, 1 Timothy 2 here, verses 9 through uh, 14, and think, man, that's quite the list. Uh, And then the fellow just said, I say, yeah, just do that, ladies. Come on, what's the problem? Um, It's not always terribly sympathetic. But what we have here is. Some duties and restrictions at the beginning, but then and then we have the origin of these things. and the reason why the world is thus so ordered, which goes back to creation and the fall, and then we have at the end a but. And that is not to add extra restrictions or extra demands or any extra requirements, but just to talk about the spirit, in which the things already uh, given, which are certainly sufficient, uh, uh, which the, thing, the way in which those will be uh, carried out. And so here today on Mother's Day, we'll consider this passage on motherhood and the way that it's going to be carried out in the gospel. And what we find is this salvation that's promised is even though uh, now, as it's just been brought up again, the ladies are doing this work under the curse. Of course, men, we're not free from that either. We're under a curse, right? You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we find the the, the fall, and we find the consequences of the fall. And that's why we have uh, the need of modesty uh, here, given, is because, well, we have the need of clothes. And, and those folks who uh, don't clothe themselves it's almost as if they're refusing to acknowledge that we're fallen creatures. Why is it that men and women together, why why did Adam and Eve why did they cover themselves up? Because they knew they were naked and they were ashamed. Today people say oh there's no shame in it. Well yeah, there is. And doesn't everybody know that? And don't we have to teach ourselves out of the shame and try to overcome it? And so uh, the, these instructions here about the clothing and the like Now, these go back to the fact and the consequence of the fall. And the curse has a lot more than just that, just clothing, as we'll get to here with the things of motherhood toward the end of this passage. So as it says in Genesis 3.16, to the woman, he said, after cursing the serpent, he'd crawl ground on the the ground and eat the dust, and he was going to get his uh, head stomped on, even while he got a bite in on the heel of the seat of the woman, but he'd get his head smashed in. But to the woman he said, I'll greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And so there's there's four lines there. there there's a pair of lines about uh, motherhood and reproduction, and there's a pair of lines there about the husband. And And this is where the woman's curse, is centered. It's centered on her as a wife and a mother. That's the part of her work that's cursed. Mothers, has ever seemed like you're working under a curse that somebody's work, or something's working against you. In, in our homes, in our relationships with husband and wife, and in the bringing forth, and I think not just the birth, but the, the raising of children, there's a curse that's been involved there. From the start. Then the fellows, they get theirs. Verse 17 with Adam. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is it the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, basically until you die. <laughs> then you're going to go back. And so the, the man's curse is primarily uh, on his work, and the woman's curse is primarily in her home life. And, and, well, isn't that the two big parts of life, right? And so we are laboring. uh, Sorry if I didn't put that up. We are laboring and have been from the beginning. We've been laboring under a curse. And, And the events that caused the fall and the consequences of that, we have been replaying and reprising in every generation since. And so uh, the, the order here, the, the, the woman's clothing and the order of authority, those go back to creation and the fall. And so does this difficulty of childbearing through which, though, the woman will be saved. It says there, and again, verse 15, but, but women, and he's talking generally here because generally don't most women become mothers. So this is not a divine command that everybody's got to get married. This is not a divine instruction that everybody has to have children. We are under the general instruction, uh, I think, from the time of creation, to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue the earth, uh, and use the earth as God gave it to us, uh, uh, making the most of this marvelous creation. But just like uh, when we're supposed to fill the earth, that doesn't mean every uh, every one of us needs to, you know, have as many children as possible Uh, in our subduing the earth. doesn't mean everybody needs to invent uh, helpful machines or go explore the farthest corners. But in general, why does humanity do that? Uh, That's that's the warrant God gave us, and that is one part we've done at least somewhat a good job, although our stewardship of it probably has often been lacking. So we have here, in this situation... Uh, of the curse and of the fall and the woman having uh, these uh, things that she labors under we have this special uh, assurance given to her that she will be preserved or that she will be saved now when it comes to this what preserved from what and which woman is this talking about I already said I think this is talking about women generally not that, again, every woman has to now become a mother to benefit from these things or, or to be subject to the rest of this, uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, discussion in the commentariat about these kind of things uh, and various theories, and I think one of the reasons for that is because so many are, are, are good commentaries. In so many ways, they're written by Calvinistic people, and most of them, they'll, they'll give you the expression and the formulation of faith only now some of them mean that in just a really stripped down uh, uh, sense of just uh, you know any any ascension, but most of, of the more thoughtful ones uh, they stick fir- firmly to an idea of faith only, but they understand that that is an active and living faith, and they'll talk about uh, how repentance is demanded and things like that and so that 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 part is good as far as it goes, but there's a there's a set of passages. Where it says, "Do this and, for, and be saved." and if it's not faith, they've got to come up a way to explain what it is that it's not what it appears to be on the surface. So when Jesus says, "Believe and be baptized," they'll say, "Believe is necessary, but baptism isn't," some of these guys. Uh, or Peter will say, "Baptism now saves you." That seems pretty clear. But to some of these Calvinistic writers, they've got to come up with another thing, because they don't believe baptism saves you because of their formulation of faith. Alone. Well, there's other things to which salvation is ascribed as well. Last, last time I looked, and I, I may have a better study now than I did before, but the last time I studied this, I found through the scriptures 23 different things, literally 23, things to which salvation is ascribed. Now, 13 of those actions, excuse me, 12 of those actions were on the side of God, things that God did that saves. But then there were 11 different things where it says this saves. And so things like repentance and endurance, uh, these save. And so, uh, but if you have the formulation of faith only, uh, then you can't have that mean salvation in the ultimate sense. Well, the same here. Uh, Those Calvinistic writers who are so good in so many ways, in this passage, they have to find another preservation or another salvation that's not the obvious one because this isn't faith only. It's certainly a faith, as we see down in verse 15, but it's not a faith only. But I do believe that this is really an assurance of salvation uh, for the women who are faithfully living their life, again, not apart or separate from Jesus Christ, but in Jesus Christ, and and they're doing it under the conditions of this cursed world. Uh, Because uh, you think about, again, the things of which the woman is cursed, uh, she's going to be, it says, uh, your husband will rule over you. Uh, but we we have four ways of feminism that are trying through social uh, and legal and cultural changes to reverse the effect of that curse. It's not going to happen. But it, it's still something that needs to be recognized. Uh, that fellas, our, our our ladies, our mothers, our, our, our sisters, our, our wives, our daughters, they are laboring under a difficult curse that has been with us as long as sin has been. Now, sometimes we wish, don't we, that they'd appreciate how hard we work. Don't most men uh, have a complaint at least once or twice about that with some lady in their life? Don't we really wish they knew how hard we worked? And it's like we're out here working under a curse. Oh, yeah. well, we are. And, and so it seems like sometimes the ladies in our lives don't recognize that. But I, I know for a fact, uh, I've heard more from the ladies say that, you know, these things that we have that have to do with uh, uh, child-rearing child or child-bearing, all the things that go along with reproduction, of which there are regular, such as your clock bite reminders, right? Uh, don't, don't we hear the lady say that they wished that their fathers or their brothers or their husbands or their, their children understood that they were likewise working under a curse. And we are. And so we should be sympathetic to those things and recognizing that each of us, in some of the most important aspects of our lives, we are working under a curse. And the common complaint about any time there's a curse is, that's not fair or that's too much. That's a common and universal human complaint. What was it Cain said? We don't have the reaction of Adam and Eve. Uh, Maybe they were just in shock, disbelief, and then they got quickly shoot out of the garden. Uh, They'd already made excuses beforehand, so God didn't listen to them after. But we don't have Adam and Eve's reaction to their curse. But when their son got a curse, we have his reaction. And what does he say? Genesis 4.13, he said to the Lord, my punishment is too much. I think the Lord knew how to punish, and the Lord gave him quite the punishment. But he thought it was too much, and he went on to make several lines of complaint in Genesis uh, chapter four. And verse 14. And so the fact that we uh, men complain about our part of the curse or the ladies might complain about their part of the curse, uh, nothing, nothing new under the sun uh, there. And, and this can be an intense thing. In the book of John, uh, Jesus referenced uh, some of the pains that went with this curse. John 16, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. He's talking about when he would go away and after being killed. He said, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Then he gives the illustration of the woman in childbirth. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more. For the joy of the child that has been born into the world. Therefore, you'll too now have sorrow, but I'll see you again. Your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. And so, there's the labor pain. There's the pain of the travail. Of course, that's not all of it. There's so many troubling aspects for women about every single bit of the reproductive process, from the time, uh, you know, when uh, when those things begin until they end, and however many uh, decades along the way that is, uh, in the uh, relations uh, in these ways uh, with their husbands and the misunderstanding. Uh, that's often there in the frustrations on the part of both parties because they seem to be operating on different levels and sometimes at cross-purposes. Uh, uh, but uh, for the men, uh, you know, is in the things of uh, reproduction, uh, is there any bit of it we go, you know, that's really painful. A lot of pain there for the fella. No. No, the fella has, uh, in this uh, section of life, He has those parts uh, which, although frustrating and confusing uh, to him maybe at times, and dealing with women uh, as he does uh, in his youth, uh, find women that way. uh, No, pain is not one of the things we'd associate with it. But for the woman, uh, there's pain and trouble all along the way. And then, uh, if the procreative act is carried out uh, successfully and and, uh, brings that uh, blessing from God, Uh, Then, uh, who really then bears the brunt of the work uh, and of the trouble and the pain. Again, it's the woman as part of this curse. Uh, But through these things, uh, which women alone can do, uh, and again, we we should recognize the natural biological differences between uh, men and women. And, And one of the real ways to tell if it's a woman or not is, do they have the capacity through these acts to generate new life? And they do. Women do. Uh, and so uh, they're to be honored in this. Uh, men have forever uh, been taught to protect and provide uh, for their partners uh, in these things. And men have a role in, and women have a role. But especially uh, when it comes to the things here of childbearing and the early years of children, who is it that has the brunt of the work? It's Obvious, we don't know how to ask. But we do find this. First Corinthians 11, verse 11. In the Lord, neither is the woman independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. For as the woman originates from a man, so also the man has his birth from a woman. All things originate from God. So there's a common source, and there should be a common understanding. Uh, there should be a, a, a commonality in these things. Recognizing very much our dependence one upon another. And so, in a, in a biblical view, uh, the independent man makes no sense, nor does the independent woman. It makes no more sense than the independent Christian. It makes no more sense than the independent child. Where's a child? Should be in the family. Where's a Christian? Should be in the assembly. Uh, where, where is a man's life to be? Uh, with his woman. And where's a woman's life to be? Uh, With her man, and so there's a a a complementary aspect to this, Uh, made from the beginning, uh, that they would meet the needs uh, that God has placed within us, and God also gave us the solution. So in this great role, then, uh, we find woman uh, faithfully doing their uh, responsibilities before God and and for their family, and it, it is one of the greatest roles in human uh, relations and in human history. In our dealings with one another, who is it uh, that we should always be able to count on as closest and nearest and dearest? Who's usually the last one to leave us or desert us? Who's the first to help us? It's it's mom. And so uh, we find in Genesis 4, after the curse, the man had relations with his wife. Eve, she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And so if we're going to go through life under the curse, uh, men, again, primarily with the the curse in things of work, women uh, dealing with the curse in the things of of, uh, family life, uh, how are we going to make it through? Well, just the way the conception was done there, it's with the help of the Lord. And so the Lord is involved in our families, the Lord blesses the families in these ways, and he causes these things to be. From Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so the womb brings forth its fruit. The child, go to the book of James. Uh, there it uses uh, child uh, conception and delivery and bringing forth into the world. is an example of a different topic. But when, when, the, when the produce of the womb comes to the world, now we have this new life. And now uh, we have, a, as it were, a new Adam and a new Eve. And as they grow, <laughs> and then as they rebel, what, do, what story do they replay in their life? So just in our own life, is, is, uh, it, I have uh, uh, been the part of rebellious Adam, and uh, uh, my wife has been uh, the part in falling to sin, as all do, uh, the part of Eve. Now uh, children are in the world, And now it's their turn to do that. And it's our turn to be uh, the parent. It's our turn to be in the place of God the Father, the provider, uh, the one who gives the home, the one who guides, and the one who teaches. And so we have this great role of guidance as these little ones grow now. So we were once the little ones, and now we have the little ones. As one fellow once said about this situation, he said, God made children so helpless. So that they would not kill us. and he made children so cute so that we would not kill them, because this beca- <laughs> bringing in children and raising children becomes a very stressful activity. It's an activity fraught with danger. It's an activity fraught with frustration. And again, this is where the young man with a family, he's out there working to provide for him, and his wife says, why aren't you working more or getting more money or this or that? And why aren't you helping out more with the house? And and, uh, and he says to her, why aren't you taking care of this stuff? You're here all day. What do you got to do? And neither side recognizes the burdens of which the other uh, feels and the other uh, is weighted down with. But in, in these things, we need to have a strong relationship, one with another, so that then uh, we can model for the children Uh, the way a home should be, uh, the way uh, submission should work, the way authority should work, the way provision should work, and all of these things of which uh, we are to trust in our Heavenly Father, uh, we should see these first at home in our mother and father. Uh, One of the things that the feminists like to point out, and they're right about this, feminists point out what happens when a woman has children. A woman's income goes down. A woman's number of hours she works, uh, that also goes way down. She misses a lot of work, a lot of times because of sick kids. Uh, The amount of sleep that a woman gets when she has children goes down. In just about every amount of time she spends with her friends, in just about every way that sociologists can measure happiness, once a mother has a child or two or three, all of those go down. And they normally stay down for a while. Now, at the end, when the children have been successfully raised and out of the house, that's generally uh, the happiest time, uh, as, again, as sociologists measure these things. Now, we do have to say whenever sociologists mer- measure such things, they don't value the same things we do, and they don't value spiritual things as we do. And so sometimes their way of evaluating, estimating, uh, and, and placing a proper value on a thing uh, that spiritual uh, and eternal in nature, well, they don't have good tools and they don't have good analysis, uh, but they are sort of right on this idea of these things that can measure uh, what happens uh, uh, when a woman has children. And so as it turns out, it, as painful and trying as it is, uh, were you all, almost entirely at the service of another or if you have twins, two at once, or you have multiple children before the others are very old, you have multiple children to which you are constantly giving yourself, motherhood ends up being one of the most selfless acts that anybody in our society does. And, and we don't really have a societal way uh, to analyze, to, to, uh, to va- evaluate, or really to honor that. The only person that's really going to honor that uh, in fullness Uh, is the husband, and that's why being a single mother is such a difficult life. It really, really is. Now, in times past when families were closer together and more likely to be together, uh, there was additional moral, maybe financial, and physical support by grandparents and by cousins and by aunts and by uncles, but now there's a whole lot of mothers who are having to do it very much on their own. And at the same time, our society has sort of ramped up the expectations of what we expect the mother to do. And for many women, it is, uh, they just find it all to be an impossible burden. Many of them, as a result, uh, want less children than the previous generations do, and we see less children being born in families every year. And this year, with the COVID, has been especially bad. Uh, we find, though, that we are to honor uh, children, in this way, uh, in, uh, in the things of the gospel, we're also uh, given responsibilities uh, with them toward God. Things like Matthew eighteen ten, Jesus said, see to it you don't despise one of these little ones. Don't despise the children. Now, in this case, he was talking to the apostles, a group of men, and the children were somebody else's probably, mostly. And i got to say, when you get a group of, uh, of youngish men together, what do they feel about kids? They're in direct violation of this passage right here. Don't despise kids, right? Uh, But sometimes that happens where because of the demands uh, of of parenthood, uh, the the despising can happen at home. And and we don't have the proper love even in the home for the children. That's why what are the older women to teach the younger? To love their husbands and to love their children. And with that goes uh, the discipline from Hebrews 12. Don't forget this exhortation. My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved of him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son that he receives. It is uh, is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? Turns out there's no father no father at all. And so mothers and fathers, Now I realize that passage is just to fathers, but there's a commonality of mothers and fathers in this, uh, like the commandment quoted in Ephesians 6, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you on the earth. Or from Proverbs 6, my son observe the commandment of your father, don't forsake the teaching of your mother. And so mothers and fathers have this great role of teaching and providing and instructing. And then we think about when they get to be uh, old enough to talk back, when they get old, when they, when they get old enough. And I don't know, what, what is the magic age when they learn to slam a door? What, what, what is the age they learn to walk off in a huff or maybe go uh, walk out the front door or go jump in a car or whatever? What are the age where those things happen? And how trying are those things to us? And, and in that, we have to just remember, uh, in this case, they are like Adam and Eve. Uh, they are despoiling the garden. They're about to come under a great curse, and they, they need to straighten up. But we, like the Heavenly Father, need to give correction. So there was a time when we were the rebellious one, doing some of those things ourselves. To which, of course, we always say, when I was your age, I never talked to my mother that way. And then the child goes, would you like me to call Grandma and fact-check that? No, that's fine. Just trust me. But we see this repeated generation after generation. And we see these things come anew. And so it, it, there was a time when we were the one being trained and provided for. There was a time when we were the one who uh, saw how these things should be, hopefully if we had godly parents. Uh, and then uh, there's a time when uh, we have to exercise those uh, same uh, things and teach those same lessons now to our own children and the women, if again, if you go back to the text, the women get to do this in a context of modesty, submissiveness, and quietness right that's how this whole text began first Timothy two nine I want the women to adorn themselves with proper clothes modestly discreetly not not this overblown thing, uh but it says. Uh, verse 11, quietly receiving instruction, uh, not teaching, uh, remaining quiet. So there's a quiet submissiveness which the ladies get to do all of these things through. It, it's sort of like that um, uh, statement, I, I, most of y'all probably heard it. They're talking about the great dancers of Hollywood movies of prior generations and talk about what a great dancer uh, Fred Astaire was. And then someone says, yeah, and, and then look at Ginger Rogers. And so she was was great too, except then they point out what? She had to do it backwards and in heels, right? And so they're both uh, unbelievable dancers, but uh, imagine trying to do all that in heels. Well, Ginger did. And there there are those, oh, that's not fair. Well, no, but it's not about fairness. It's about how uh, things are. And there's a reason why women are given these instructions uh, about clothing uh, that men are not. Uh, because uh, with the, the, the beauty of the woman, uh, which she can accent in uh, and, and either uh, to greater effect of goodness or to evil uh, with clothing, and the guy just shows up, you know, in kind of a, a dumpy beige suit, and he's fine, right? Sometimes he dresses up, and he kind of wears a boxy gray suit. Every now and again, he has a properly cut black suit. And how, how, many, how many questions does he have of style? Well, which dark color tie today, right? Which one goes best with gray today? The, the dark blue or the dark red? But the lady, look at her closet. What's, what's all that? So there's, there's a difference in roles. There's a difference in outlook. There's a difference. And what ridiculousness when we see men trying to be uh, with the makeup and the heels like the women, right? We see that, and what do we think? Now, we, we just naturally say, well, that doesn't seem right. Uh, because that's not the role of the man Uh, the women have from the beginning from the order of creation uh, the men were given a set of roles and a set of curses and the women a different set of roles and a different set of curses and so the godly women go through life doing all of these things again like ginger rogers backwards and in high heels doing it in submission uh, doing it uh, following the lead. And if we learn to be submissive to God, which we all need to learn, where do we get our first lessons in that? We got it in mom being submissive to dad. We got that in submission to authority at home. And in submission to authority, in these cases, human relationships, it's not about worth. It's not about intelligence. It's not about honorableness. uh, It's not about Uh, Being reputable, it's not about being worthy. It's about being in a position. And actually in life, how many dishonorable and disreputable people do we have to submit to? This is where some people, yeah, I deal with the government all the time, right? But in government, on the job, in families, sometimes in church, we end up having to submit to people in roles that we think, well, they're not worthy of that. No, but the role is worthy. And so where did we learn submission? Where did we learn uh, obedience? Where did we learn uh, ultimately to submit to the will of God? We learned the first lessons of that at home. The world fell into chaos when Eve did not submit to what God instructed and she did not do what her husband said. And the world has become ever more chaotic as people don't follow the order that God gave. And so women doing this, uh, again, to to their great credit, are the ones, in many cases, uh, holding things together. It is they who are showcasing to their children, and sometimes even to their own husbands, how they should act and how we should all act toward God. So we do all of this, or they do all of this, in particular... Uh, as it says here at the end, uh, they do this in the love of God. As it says here in, in verse uh, 15, after saying that there's this curse and after there's these instructions that the women are to have these various uh, submissive places and roles, it says, but the women shall be pre- preserved or saved through the bearing of children. So this, and I take that to be the entirety of everything that goes along With motherhood, not just the actual, you know, giving birth. uh, Because there are some that just, you know, they drop them at the hospital or wherever and just leave. And I don't think they've really done much. But no, this whole thing of motherhood, they'll they'll be saved through all of this. If they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Faith, love, sanctity with self-restraint. I think the apostle is setting out here a few keystones, a few few really important markers for the ladies to look out for as they are raising their children. Because when ladies are raising their children, they have young children especially, how much time do they have to be devoted to Bible study and prayer? Ben made some mention of that in Bible class this morning about people being devoted to prayer, and he said sometimes it's really hard to find the time. Well, yeah, Uh, and I think he actually did mention uh, mothers. Uh, But uh, uh, how many times have, I don't know, maybe this is only my house, maybe not yours, um, uh, the wife sees me reading, or the wife sees me uh, being able to sit and think about things for a while, and she says, "Uh, you could come help me so I could do that too, (laughs) right? Uh, Or uh, the story of Mary and Martha in the Gospels where one of the sisters wants to study and uh, listen to Jesus and meditate on his word, and what's the sister say? I need help with the serving. When there's young children especially, but motherhood for a long time, when is there a serving that needs to be done? Always. Is it ever over? It's never done. And so rather than say all of these things, Paul's—he's not saying all these are more requirements that you need to do. What he's saying is, while you're doing, as you're living this out, here are a few things to especially keep in mind, some basics as you go. And what are those? Faith and love. Well, what's the big three in in uh, uh, Christian morality and Christian ethics all the time? And the faith, hope, and love. And so. We got faith and love here, and we have sanctity or holiness. We, we live right. Don't live a desolate life. Uh, Paul would mention later uh, to Timothy uh, some, some people who went about uh, house to house uh, who were gossiping, or the Thessalonians, but in uh, some of the widows who would be given over to dissipation and to drink and the like and how unseemly that was. If you're doing your duty as a mother, you've got no time for that. And you also have you also have a lot of good things you're simply unable to do because you are uh, taking on this responsibility at home with your own children first. And so, keep on with the good life in Christ. Keep with love, keep with faith, and keep with self restraint. And so the woman has these these roles and these things to do as a mother and if she if she can keep those together while doing all the rest she does then there is a great blessing for her because we know the mother who has a natural affection uh, who's been taught to uh, by her own mother how to care for children uh, who's been taught by the older women if she needed any pointers uh, we know that uh, they're going to have a love for their children or they're going to try and do the best for them and so Paul says that's what you need to be doing. We think about this love, uh, again, as expressive of the love of God. Uh, In Luke 2, when Jesus was just the infant being presented in the temple, the old man Simeon came up and blessed Mary and him, and he said uh, to Mary, Behold, the child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel, a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. And so, to, Simon says, you're going, to be, you're going to have such a love for him that when you see him suffering as God's rejected Messiah, he said, that's going to tear you up. And if we have to think, if that tears Mary, his mother, up, what did that do to his heavenly father? Well, his, par- his, his parents, but mothers in particular, go through this uh, raising of children They really are, and I think we need to, to, uh, again, as we close, uh, emphasize this. They really are showing the love of God. It is God's love that they are showing to their children. And so when we talk about having, uh, you know, a heavenly father, when we talk about having one that cares for us and provides for us and does for us, if we come from a home where there wasn't love and provision, what do we know of parents doing that? And it becomes a difficult thing to overcome. But if we know this from our home, then we can more readily and easily picture it uh, in the uh, way that God deals with us. So we have this, uh, Jesus said, Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together. He said, I wanted, "I wanted to get the children in here." And he, he gives another comparison of the the chick gathers her, uh, or the hen gathers her chicks, and spreads its wings out over them. He said, "But y'all wouldn't come." And so parents sometimes live out this aspect of the love of God. They want to gather the children. They want to instruct the children. They want to help the children and teach the children and guide the children and protect the children. And sometimes, what do the children say? No. And that tears our hearts out. Or like Mary, we see our children being mistreated. And what does that do? Again, it pierces us. It tears, it tears our hearts out. But such is living in this world that's under a curse. Yeah, one more. In 1 Thessalonians 2, the Apostle Paul said, this is how they preached the gospel. He said, we prove to be to you, brethren, there gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having a fond affection for you and so again if they didn't know about mothers how would they know about that comparison but this is what mothers do and so that's why uh you know we've uh appointed today in society a mother's day not in the scriptures uh but you know respecting what's right in the sight of all men uh, it's mother's day call your mother right it's it's mother's day Uh, uh go make that visit go make that phone call uh, and not just on this day, but on whatever day, if you have uh, this kind of mother who has lived under the curse and been in submission selflessly, if she's modeled God's love to you and your children, uh, if you have them so far, if she has uh, done all those things, uh, do like it says in Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. And even though it's Mother's Day, not Husband's Day, it says her husband also praises her saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you have excelled them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And Paul would say she'll be preserved as long as she continues here in faith and love and sanctity and these things. So give her the product of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. So what Paul says here in light of those really onerous things, Uh, that come from the curse and the order of creation in this fallen world, Paul really is, as I said, giving not additional instruction, additional requirements, but giving additional assurance that the women, as they do these things, will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love, sanctity and self-restraint. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at church dot com Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.